let us really come into the into the realm of the Buddha Dhamma here, the sense of really recognizing, holding up and bowing to their awakening heart. And the Buddha is a supreme example of that. The reflection on universal well-being, we can let these reverberations, these intentions, these aspirations, these ways of holding the world really vibrate through our experience of body and mind. The sense of gratitude that to the Buddha, that the teachings were given out of compassion. As we recollect in that chanting, as we make the offerings, yeah. that we can take this in different ways. But you know what? One of the ways that can be really helpful is to really take them in as something given, given for each of our well-being. Yeah really to receive this yeah. and, and to let that teaching, that Dhamma, the Dhamma, really resonate and support our understanding of our own life and our own awareness. It's not that you know, the Buddha asked us to believe it, yeah. The encouragement was to know for yourself. And it's not like if the Buddha was here, which might be wonderful, he could bang me on the head with a stick and I would understand. Yeah. He was really clear when people would come and say, oh, oh, Lord, just give me a tap on the head. You know, that it didn't work like that. Yeah. So here we are having to do this inquiry right here, nowhere else, not delayed in time, just here. And how not to have that lonely. So to really feel our connection, our connection with the refuges, yeah, with the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the community of practitioners, yeah. And we we can feel that Sangha as our own, our own movement to know the Dhamma, yeah. And then we see it all around us in a space like this, yeah. But there are other beings making this commitment yeah. and across time and space. So we're in this great flow of beings. A bit like in this um, kind of style of teaching with Ajahn Suchito and I, it's a bit like we keep passing the baton of the reflections between each other, yeah? And to really see yourself as having received this baton of awakening. And we do the work here and we pass it on. It's not personal. It's about our belonging in the flow of things, yeah. And I can see a few faces on the screen and I know that those I can see and know are incredibly generous in supporting others in their process of inquiry and practice. So this is what we can do, isn't it? I can do it here, you do it there. We do it with those for whom it's helpful, and we do it here. And we keep heart with the practice. And in this process, we have to be really um, upright in it, don't we? We have to really know what the taste of the Dharma is, so we don't get confused. So we can orientate to the fact that it was given out of compassion 
and I find it really clarifying yeah, in my own practice. And one of the other things we can really orientate to is this you know, gem that is in one of the suttas in Guttara 8, I think it's 19. So the, the collection of that name. And it's when one of the beings comes to the Buddha and talks, they have a conversation about how the Dhamma and the ocean, the great ocean, share these similar share similarities. Yeah? And one of the most recognizable parts of this, and you'll have heard it many times already, you know, is just as the great ocean has one taste of salt, so the taste of the Dhamma has a taste of freedom. And this is really, really important to keep as a reference because of how our minds have been trained so that we can, we really know if we pick things up as an intellectual exercise. You know? The classic one to me is we pick up this teaching on anicca, you know, the movement of things, change. You know? uncertainty, and if we pick it up as a mental concept, it brings incredible agitation into the heart. If we pick it up in terms of the Dhamma as an embodied realization, it brings this incredible taste of freedom. So the work is always to be checking. Is this supporting the waking up of this being? And if it is Dhamma, it will. If it's of some other nature, it may not. So as we sit, just checking, as you you engage with the teaching, engage with the practice, what's going on? And it's not that everything has to be happy and pleasant here. Yeah? We know it's not like that. You know? the, one of the qualities of practice is actually the ability to be patient, steady, yeah? because things can be difficult. But that patience has compassion in it. Yeah? It has a very, very different quality and you know, some kind of harsh enduring. Yeah. So we keep checking these, these cultivations. Have they got the compassion of the Buddha in them? And as you know, some things that happen, they're very hard to bear with. But the, the teaching gives us a way of doing that. It isn't about closing down or up, just hardening up. One of the really wonderful things about this concept of refuge is the sense that there is always shelter yeah. from the conditioned realm. The Dharma is our shelter. Yeah. So how is it a shelter? What does it mean to be able to take shelter in the Dhamma? And for me, it means that actually I can stop running. I can be here. So whatever is happening, I know the way of meeting it. that I I meet it with these heart qualities to whatever capacity I have. So we we really, it's not that things don't happen, but we have a way of coming into relationship with them, right relationship with them, relationship that yields the freeing up of the heart. 
And things happen, don't they? You feel that, and then to to ground, steady, come into the connection with breath, connection with the Dhamma, have these medicines to soothe the trembling chitta, yeah. And to be able to process whatever has happened in terms of impact on the chitta. And then to be able to, from that steadiness and calmness, actually understand what happened. So we're starting to understand how we get caught, how does stress arise. We're getting insight into these four noble truths, causes of dukkha. So, So... it's not that everything has to go along on a kind of permanent high. It's that we have this way of being with it, whatever it is. So the more confidence we have in that, the less we start asking the world to be one way or another. As in this chart we've just done, you know, we realise Things are born out of conditions, yeah? This is the reflections on equanimity. And in my way of understanding it, and as I've been saying earlier in the retreat, it's this understanding in this moment, it could not be different. I'm sitting in what they call a vipaka comma, the resultant comma of what has gone before. And I, there's learning in that, yeah. And then I have this complete freedom in response. And so if I really stay on the edge of the present moment, yeah. the only place it is, it, there is tremendous freedom in that. So, and the Buddha pointed to this in different ways. And and it's to take these teachings, these often very commonly referred to parts of the Dharma teachings that were given to us as encouragement. So we keep heart with the practice. In this kind of realm of encouragement, encouraging verses from the Dhamma. Yeah? There's one I know some of you have pinned on your fridges, yeah? and that's the sutra on the root of things, yeah? the Mula Sutta. Another verse from the Anguttara, and it's in the tens. Yeah? It's, a, it's a verse, and I think most of you will have heard it, and I won't go through the whole thing, but the sense of where things arise from, yeah? Rooted in desire, friends are all things. And it's this process, yeah? Born of attention are all things, yeah? So where are we placing the mind, yeah? Things arising from where attention arises. So on that contact, things come into being, yeah? And they converge on feeling, yeah? Which really is what the chitta really knows about here, feeling, vedana. And then there's this kind of shift, yeah? So phenomena have arisen. There's then a sense of being headed or or, um, governed by samadhi, by the collectedness of the mind. So there's a sense that things have arisen, but now there's a sense of, actually starting to come into wise relationship with them. Yeah. And then mindfulness is established. Yeah. So you get governed by mindfulness, dominated by mindfulness. Different people translate this slightly differently, of course. But it's the sense of the place of the gathering of attention and then mindfulness. Yeah. 
and everything starts shifting. Surmounted by wisdom, or wisdom as a supervisor. So the understanding of the Four Noble Truths. And then we get liberation as their core. Culminate in the deathless. Yield deliverance or essence, terminating in Nibbana. So you get this kind of process. You know? All things are terminating in Nibbana. All things have deliverance as their essence. Well, um, is that how we experience it? And why these teachings are so helpful to bear in mind is they stop us being afraid of conditions and phenomena. Because they say, if the mind can steady, you know, come into the steadiness, samadhi, can kind of steady and mindfulness can be established. Like we, we can actually start waking up to what is happening. Then this whole process starts to happen. Yeah. Where you realize anything you touch is filled with the teaching. Anything we touch with clarity, with the clarity of the Four Noble Truths, delivers liberation as its essence. And so as I sit here, as I walk there, as I do this, as I do that, if I can keep aligned with this upright, in this understanding. All kinds of fear drops away. Because I know if I can come into the body, yeah, ground, feel myself fully here, establish mindfulness, whatever quaking, shaking is going on in this Chitta can be met. And in my experience, particularly with more intense experiences, the more clearly I do that, I get tremendous insight into the nature of things. How things come together, how the mind creates suffering what it's trying to lean on and grasp so it doesn't have to be with the changing nature of things. You start to, you can start to see the kind of what's described as a conjuring trick of consciousness. This this leaning out that brings the sense of that there, me here. Yeah. This delusion of consciousness the way consciousness works, and it makes it feel so real rather than a construct of a particular mechanism. So conjuring trick, as the Buddha described it, magician's trick, that suddenly from some kind of visual contact, the sense of me arises, a subject. Wow. When I understand that as a dynamic, yeah, not a reality, things start to lighten up, don't they? And then it becomes, well, if, you know, if the mind is still going to lean on things and then take its, its sense of itself from what it's leaning on, let it lean on what is helpful. Let it, let it establish mindfulness. Let it lean on, if we can call it leaning on love, yeah, leaning on compassion, leaning on goodness. So that the, the sense of somebody that arises based on those is not so afflicted. Yeah. And 
because if the heart and mind get too afflicted, as you know, it's really hard to establish mindfulness and clarity, isn't it? Yeah. So to support our practice, we try and make this this the inevitability of this kind of ignorance, this arising based on what is wholesome until we've really untangled it. Yeah. And we don't always have a choice because things happen. But then we take heart, you know, for. So, headed by concentration or the collected mind are all things, you know, governed by mindfulness. Yeah. To, to really trust this, that. Even though something in us, particularly if things are, make us shake, wants to just run and absorb into anything else, yeah? the agitation. We know that if we can even be present for a moment, things start to settle down. And then we're not on the run. The sense of who I'm not is not running in agitation. Because this whole kind of conjuring trick of consciousness brings with it an inherent distress. Yeah. Because the distress is in the mistake of that, there's me here isolated from that there. There's me here as some kind of fixed thing in the universe. And in that, there's tremendous vulnerability, isn't there? Vulnerability, aloneness, yeah. a loss of connection and belonging. So that's why these medicines of, of the Brahma Vihara become so essential, because they re-establish us, they upright us in, in kindness, friendliness, compassion, a sense of our own and others' goodness, in this capacity to bear with and recognize cause and result for what it is. Yeah. So that the heart can get more even and we get less, what do I call it? We get less ill will really for what is present here. Yeah. Yeah. No. Folks next door making a noise, they belong. Yeah. yeah. Guinea fowl, you probably see running past the window every so often. It belongs. Yeah. The ants that seem to be going straight for the new internet connection, they belong. Yeah. Yeah. It may be they need a little shepherding, yeah. But we're, we're coming out of contention with everything in that moment. And then, yeah, right response. So I'm here, I'm not contending, I recognize what's happening, and I do what is suitable. In the case of the ants and the, and the connections, you know, put a bit of neem oil around. So it's not that we don't act, it's that we're acting from a place that hasn't got hostility in it. And it's so important, isn't it? Because we can project hostility out or fear out, but the most um, place it gets most impacted is the titter itself. Mm. And we have, we mm. having incarnated into this form with this consciousness, we have a responsibility to take care of it. Yeah. It's one of the all things, yeah. And sometimes these all things are seen as the as the khandas. Sometimes they're just seen as dhammas or phenomena. But whichever way you pick this teaching up, it's not about something other than ourselves. Yeah. This tremendous sense that everything is yielding deliverance as essence. Mm-hmm.
So it's really to, to take that in, to take these Dharma reflections we've been given in, you know, to keep our hearts steady with this process. We have the capacity to be here. And we know it's here that the Four Noble Truths are. Yeah. Suffering and the end of suffering and the path. And under those, everything else in practice sits. Yeah, feeling yourself, letting yourself really be nourished and drink in these teachings that are really reminding us, telling us that there is something that is not just a contracted, agitated mind, that the nature of the chitta is very different. So allowing this. Yeah. It is it is easy to get discouraged, isn't it? You know, over a time of practice. Yeah because it does take the bringing force of energy. But to, you know, we keep heart with the fact that this, this is possible. It is possible. So that even if the heart isn't fully awakened, we can have real understanding of the nature of things. So that as events happen in the world, around us and within us, we have real understanding and resources to meet it. And there's a, the qualities of the of Nibbana, of the heart that's fully released out of selfishness. One of the beautiful qualities, it's unshakable. Sorrowless, dustless, unshakable. Okay. It is worth cultivating so that this can become manifest reality. Heart that doesn't tremble, but is fully available. Some of us have had the fortune to meet beings who have really awakened come out of all contraction. And they're, they're real blessings on the planet. So to me, it seems whatever, to whatever extent we can do this, to whatever extent we can free the heart out of harmfulness into harmlessness, may it be done. As part of it, what it means to be in connection with the world. So practice is an act of love. Maybe enough. Thank you. Yeah, so let us come into sitting together, really feeling this field we're sitting in. We are in a connected field.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.